1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to uh, History and Technicolor with uh, David Crowther and my colleague... Wolf O'Neill. Excellent, hello, Wolf. So this is what's happening here. We are restarting the History and te- Technicolor. Woo! How exciting is yay. that? Yay! Yay, your lives are saved. Yeah. Um, probably not that exciting, but, you know, we're quite excited. And then what we are going to do is we're going to do a season of 12 films, which is going to start in two weeks' time with The Last of the Mohicans. So, I hear you say, asking the obvious question, what is the obvious question, Wolf? Um, Why didn't the season start now with this movie? Yes, that is the obvious question. So, what are we doing here now if the first one is The Last of the Mohicans? Well, we were rather inspired by the arrival of The Dig, and so we would thought that we would do that and slip that in really quickly. I think we're almost a bit late, actually, because the interest in the film has been so enormous. Rarely have I seen so much chat uh, on one particular topic since Brexit. So did I mention Brexit?
0: Um, yes, I believe you did.
1: Ah, done. Anyway, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to have a um, uh, sort of an introductory episode on the dig here, and then we'll into our season 12 in a couple of weeks' time with The Last of the Okay? Perfect. So, shall we get started? I think there's a norm- an obvious question you normally ask me at this point, Wolf. Um, I, I would ask you, David, why did you pick this film? That is a great question, Wolf. I'm so glad you asked it. Well, the first thing is, there was so much interest in the film. Everybody's been talking about it. Probably, I don't know if everybody on this listening to this podcast has posted or joined a discussion group on Facebook or website or whatever, but there's been loads of chat about it, it's been very, uh, there's been loads of interest in it. Secondly, I have an emotional attachment to Sutton Hoo, Wolf, and I'm going to try not to burst into tears, okay? So there I am at St Andrews University. Really, the amount I have done on Anglo-Saxon England is, in my life, is limited to a, a a little bit of time in primary school, probably, of Anglo-Saxon farming techniques. So really, Anglo-Saxons, you know, I was still a believer in the poem. William I was the first of our kings, not counting Ethelred's Egbert's and things. So I was probably from that camp. What transformed my attitude towards Anglo-Saxon uh, England were these absolutely exquisite objects in uh, on Sutton Hoo and learning about Sutton Hoo and learning about early Anglo-Saxon England uh, in university. We didn't do very much on it, um, but it's a, a fascinating period. The second thing is that uh, the British Museum, I have a really a, a difficult relationship with the British Museum. I would say it is, broadly speaking, a hate-hate relationship. <laughs> so probably not that complicated. Wait, they hate you? <laughs> no, I hate them, and I hate them. So because every time, as soon as I go through the portals of the British Museum, I feel exhausted. My life drops away with me and all I can do is go and have a cup of tea and a bun and run because there's just too much. Okay, Uh, it seems to me that we ought to give a lot of that stuff back, whatever the morality of it, just because there's far too much stuff in there anyway. My experience of the British Museum was transformed when I said, and I think Jane and I also went uh once together, and I just went i forget ignored everything in the British Museum, and I just went to look at the Sutton Hoo display and the items are exquisite i mean i have I cannot think of anything else I have seen as beautiful uh fantastic red and garnet uh uh, pieces a beautiful clasp uh, with enamel and again golden garnet just absolutely absolutely beautiful so there's that and then i think something which came out of the film there is something very fundamental about Who to me in terms of a uh, an archaeological dig am i going on too much i probably am but oh, no. anyway one more one more thing uh, it's a bit like Stonehenge. It's about Avery, a bit like Avery Circle. I get the same feeling when I go and see the Sutton Hoo display. This is where we came from. You know, Avery and Stonehenge are all about our, our British and our, our Celtic heritage, and actually, probably pre Celtic. I'm not quite, not very good at Stonehenge. Sutton Hoo is about the arrival of these migrants, these Germanic migrants. It's something very fundamental about it. So, it's Sutton Hoo is important to me. As it happens, I read the book uh, and found the book a bit of a bore, I must admit. Anyway, interesting. um, Yes, it's quite interesting. So that's
0: why I chose this film. Do you need to tell us what the film is about, or do you think everybody already knows? Very briefly, why
1: don't I tell you, give you an introduction to the film. So, um, but uh, but, yes, I agree. So much has been written that it's hardly necessary. Uh, This is about the discovery of a high-status Saxon burial in 1939. It's probably the most important find ever in England, certainly from the Anglo-Saxon era. The film is based on a book of somebody related to Mrs. Pretty, I should know, I think, nephew, I'm guessing. So we have that difficult thing, actually, in this episode of talking about how it differs from the book and how it differs from history. The director is uh, an Aussie called Simon Stone who hasn't done a vast amount of film work actually very much international theatre oriented and it's got a really good cast actually so the central characters in The Dig, uh, the film is about Mrs Pretty who owns some land which has got some mounds on it and I think she buys the land actually specifically because she's really interested in archaeology and very interested in these mounds. And she employs a local man, Basil Brown, to come and have a look at them for her. Basil Brown is not exactly uh, an amateur, but nor is he a sort of Don University educated excavator, but he's done quite a lot of work for the Ipswich Regional Museum. Rafe finds plays Basil Brown, Carrie Mulligan as Mrs. Pretty. Then actually a lot of the other actors I don't know don't know so well, but I think they're very good. So Johnny... Flynn turns up there and uh, Johnny Flynn always has some association with me with this kind of same kind of subject because he wrote the theme tune to one of my favourite comedies which is Detecturists which has got a very similar feel actually to The Dig. It's about finding, finding our ancestors and they're also looking for an Anglo-Saxon king uh, sex red or well, an Essex king sex red. Monica Dolan is Mrs Brown who's not possibly one of the main characters but I think does really well um, although I shouldn't be talking about that yet. Should I? Sorry, Archie Barnes as Robert Pretty, the boy. And I think he does he does really well. And then Ben Chaplin as one of the excavators. Oh, and uh, Lily James as another one of the excavators. And the various other people. But basically it's a it's a good cast. Is there anybody I should have mentioned uh, Wolf? Who played Mr. Phillips? Because I remember this yes, is stuff. John Start. That, that sounds ring about that. I think, I think it is. John, Stott. He was great. I mean, I think the cast is really really good. But going on to it as a film then... Well, first of all, you tell me what you
0: thought. <laughs> okay. I quite enjoyed it. I was, a, I was a bit tentative because it's always how exciting do you make a film that's about archaeology mm-hmm. without taking it too far away from its actual subject matter to not really be a film about archaeology. So... I wasn't sure, but within about five minutes, I was pretty captivated. Maybe it was the landscapes. It, it could have been that. I I was definitely hooked by those. Uh, yeah. And I just thought the cast was really good, especially Ray Fiennes and Carrie Mulligan. I thought they were, without them, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed the film anywhere near as much. But they were really good. And, um, yeah, it was terribly British um, in a good way. Huh. Um I yeah, like I said, the costumes were really good, the production was really good, the accents were a joy just yes. to just to sit and listen to them. I enjoyed that. And uh I gained despite the inaccuracies that we'll come to, I did gain a slightly better understanding of something that I didn't really know anything about. So it's increased my interest and awareness and uh I had a pretty good time. Good. That's great. And indeed your experience
1: seems to be mirrored by so far that it's got some very high ratings on the sort of various film places. It's got 87% on Rotten Tomatoes, that sort of thing. So people are responding quite positively to it with some, some caveats, I think. Yes. And for me... OK, the the positive things. I love the film to a slight disturbing degree in some ways. It made me feel immediately guilty, you know, rather like um, I was getting involved like some, I don't know, 19th century German romanticist philosopher or something. I don't know, Volzak, you know, the people who gathered folk tales from their history, like, I don't know, like we did in the 19th century to make sure we didn't lose our past. It is that a story about something very fundamental to where we came from. And indeed, Mrs. Brown, I think in a very good core little piece with her husband Basil, puts that into words, articulates that in, a, in I think, a very good way in a, in a bit, which is absolutely central, in my view, to the film. The film evokes a different age, I think, in a very gentle and positive way, although also bringing out to some degree all the aspects of that earlier age which we no longer approve of. So, you know, what we see is social inequality, class structure, snobbery, and misogyny. But it is quite gently dealt with. Some of it is absolutely fine. To some degree, I objected to some of it, but we'll come to that in a moment. But the film is driven by two the characters. Basil Brown is beautifully played. Um, it helps that he looks like the real Basil Brown. And he does the accent beautifully. So that that's great. As a character, Brown comes across as level humble but proud refusing to be a pushover so for example mrs pretty offers him a a quid a week or something and he says right and he's desperate to do the dig but he says sorry i'm not your man doesn't make a fuss of it but off he hops onto his bike so mrs pretty has to tool after him and uh, bring it back in pain twice the amount there's something very you know as, as i would like the english to be as it were so i think he's very good and very positive character and mrs pretty also although they don't hide the fact that she's very privileged you know she's definitely part of that class structure you know she is fair and reasonable throughout the film she makes very sure that she gives everybody credit so she gives basil brown credit even when the british museum move in and take over the uh, dig and rather sideline basil brown She's very keen to make sure. She's determined to make sure he still gets credit. So she she's a very good character. Her son is suffering a bit because he lost his father and Mrs. Pretty is ill, uh, and he's he's very troubled. And he does really well with that, you know. Um, and the relationship between Basil Brown and the boy, I think, is very moving and works well. I'm I'm talking too much, aren't I? Do you want to say do you want to intervene at any point? No, no, keep going. The other really tremendous character in the film is, is Suffolk. Um, much of the film, the house isn't in Suffolk, actually. The house itself is in Surrey. And I think the dig itself is, was recreated in Surrey. Not quite sure about that. But we see Suffolk a lot, the grassland, the lowlands, the river. And it's, you know, it's kind of halcyon. I mean, it's quite wet as well, but, you know, that's, that, that's life you know it adds a a a wonderful timelessness to to what's going on oh and yes the tone of the film generally i mean the, i mean as you're saying it's very british it is beautifully low key in the way that i like my films so uh you know it's not the avengers and i think it's all the better for that in this particular case obviously yes. if it's the avengers like the dig that probably wouldn't be a success but you know
0: it's a pretty quiet film, although I do think that they do a few things in the movie which maybe they don't have to in order to make it give it that bit of an extra bang um, for your buck. So maybe that's a slight shame. It could be a quieter, softer film again.
1: That's very interesting, comment. So I was about to come on something which might be the same thing. So you go ahead, why? what is that? What are those things you think they did to try and
0: make it a bit more whizzy? There's a lot. <laughs> And some of it's going to come up in the historical uh, accuracy section. Yeah. But like the tunnel collapse, the plane crashing.
1: That that actually happened.
0: It's got to be said, the tunnel collapse. Yeah, but didn't they? Well, I think what I mean is like they've budged some things around. I'm not necessarily saying it's not true. And it still works within the film. But it's very handy that you get a life and death situation while... Digging in Suffolk, it, it it's a convenient moment that creates an obstacle, loads of tension, loads of drama, um, because the film wants to keep doing that throughout to kind of keep you engaged. The plane yeah. crashing and the trying to rescue the pilots. yeah. Um, Lily James's character with the yes. all of that romance and and love interest stuff that's really pushed to the forefront, and then you know the constant threat of the war. Not necessarily saying it shouldn't be done, but there's a lot of dramatizing of events, yeah. and a fair amount of fabricating for entertainment purposes, which and I kind of understand, but I mean,
1: I think I entirely agree with you, um, which is most disconcerting, I think you're absolutely right they cr- they have to sort of they feel they have to create some sort of tension as though discovering the um uh, the older ship burial in England isn't enough. Uh, and it's actually it's been quite funny watching the debates on Facebook <laughs> of um, some of the more enthusiastic types are saying no what we sh- really should have had is we should have had some archaeological maps. Now, that would have really made it work. And I'm kind of thinking, well, probably Simon Stone has made the right decision on that one. But the Peggy Piggott thing, oh. uh, the, the Johnny Flynn thing for me was the most annoying because I don't see. So it seems to me just, you know, hear me out. And I'm, I'm sorry. You can tell me I'm just an old old fusty, is that they kind of felt, look, what do we know about the 1930s? What does a film in that period has to have? Oh, well, it's got to have snobbery. It's got to have class prejudices. It's got to have inequality. It's got to have misogyny. So we're going to put all those in. We're going to marginalise Basil Brown. Mm -hmm. We're going to make Peggy Piggott somebody who is patronised by everybody. And also we need some romance, as you say. So we're going to have johnny flynn in there and it's going to be sex
0: yeah a little bit of light nudity uh in the uh, archaeological dig movie yeah
1: that's right and and we're going to make that you know we're, we're going to make peggy pickett an object of fun and people are going to make fun of her so there's a rather ludicrous bit and i, mm. I just i mean i don't believe that is is accurate and i wish they didn't have to do it peggy pickett was a re, was a pretty experienced archaeologist Pickett in the film, uh, Peggy Piggott, she wasn't a stupid person. She wasn't, a, you know, she wasn't portrayed as an airhead, but she was. She did a couple of silly things and she was patronised everybody because she didn't have a, she apparently wasn't, you know, in the film, she wasn't up to the archaeological bit where in reality she was. Um, so that really annoyed me. They should have given her her due in the film. And her due was more than that. And I don't think it needed the romance. Jonathan was a made-up character by the book. And there were actually two photographers related to Mrs. Pretty who took all the photos. And I just thought it was irritating, annoying, and
0: pointless. Uh, 100% agree. To the point that when I watched the film, I actually quite enjoyed the film because I didn't know any of the history, and I could kind of see what they were doing with the romance and the Lily James character. But again, I didn't know much better, so I was—I knew that they were kind of doing something. They were obviously adjusting the truth, but I was like, "I'll give them their due for now." My appreciation for this movie radically declined the moment I clicked online to look up any of the history related to it. And Mm -hmm. then when I realised what they'd been doing and how badly they have mistreated the majority of the characters in real life, the real people, I became infuriated. And I will uh, go on for a long time later um, about that. Well, maybe not for a long time, very briefly, to expand on this this role of Peggy uh, and everything they do in this film because I, I did not enjoy it at all.
1: No, I thought it was very annoying. I mean, also, funnily enough... In doing that, they also sell Stuart Piggott short. I listened to an article by a chap called Professor Martin Carver, who's a well-known archaeologist, and uh, who looked at the dig, uh, you know, the actual dig itself. He says that Stuart Piggott was one of the key people in the dig. He, his ability to visualise the the layout, his, uh, his ability to re- recreate in drawings what was going on was absolutely essential to the success of it. And... None of his qualities as an archaeologist come across at all. And so he's sold down the river as well.
0: Yeah, he's terrible at his job. He's really annoying. They, yeah. I even feel like they not – I'm not being ageist, but it's definitely weird that they cast an actor 30 years older than the actual person. And I feel like it's, yeah. it's kind of done to make him unattractive and yeah. to make us dislike him more because of how old and stuffy he is. And then he's kind of, then he's one of the lads and they're all like, we're going to rush down to the pub. It's terrible. Yeah, it's not good at all. Okay, so so as a film, well, I think
1: we both agree it's sort of a game of two halves, Jim. I mean, personally, I think the stuff about Basil Brown and Mrs. Pretty and The Sun are done beautifully. Just the right level, actually, of that, but between them, of deference that you that feels authentic for the time. Agreed. I mean, I even actually forgive the thing about the British Museum, because I think, you know, you could believe e- experts coming in and wanting to take over. And that gives that sort of tension. And You do need some tension in it. So, okay. So in summary, it's kind of a game of two halves, isn't it, Jim, if I may call you Jim? Some of it is really beautifully done. And I think that's enough for me to have really enjoyed the film. Some of it is a bit annoying. And doesn't really doesn't really work very well or is at least unnecessary. Nonetheless, it wasn't bad enough for me to think, oh, this is terrible, I'm gonna turn it off. So in general, I really enjoyed the film and it's a lovely subject to write about, and parts of it I absolutely loved. I absolutely love the Basil Brown, this is pretty stuff.
0: Yeah, agreed. This kind of is what's most frustrating to me about the film, that I feel like the Mrs. Pretty and Basil Brown stuff and to do with their family and the dig is great and it works. And any creative license that they use within that storytelling works for me. And I'm happy to go on the journey that they're going on, even if sometimes it could be a little bit overly um, meditative or saccharine. Hmm. I'm fine. I'll go with that. It's for entertainment. What I find really annoying is the film... And does all of its good work with all of the kind of um, side characters, of which they seem to just radically change history for absolutely no reason. And I don't think that any of the creative decisions they make with those characters, the um, Peggy and the others, they don't benefit the film in the slightest. And in, in fact, they just detract from it. It
1: is almost two halves, isn't it? Yeah. You know, the first half's really good, the better, blah, blah, blah. and then suddenly Peggy Piggott and Ben Chaplin. Take over, and suddenly uh, some of the impetus of the film uh, has gone. Not all of it It does feel like but, you
0: know, it feels like a filmmaker who doesn't have the full confidence in making a film about yeah. an archaeological dick, and that people are interested in the history or those characters. I mean, we are in the golden age of archaeology, aren't we? I
1: mean, aren't we? Isn't we're not long after you know, I've looked upon the face of uh, Agamemnon and things like that, and uh, Howard Carter and all that sort of thing. So maybe we
0: should do the films about that. Anyway, so I think we agree on that. Yeah. Well, so what I was going to say is because the film adds yep. all this additional stuff and it's yep. clearly trying to put a bunch of messages forward, some of which you've already referenced. Um, what do you think the film is saying about class and gender?
1: Well, I think it's it's saying all those really ha- happening things, you know, without much subtlety. Oh, in that in those times, women were were uniformly and inevitably treated as uh, third class citizens um anybody who who wasn't the right social class would be ignored um, or marginalized and i don't reading about the the what actually happened there is an element of that obviously in the sense that you know we are in a society where Uh, women are marginalised. We are in a society which is hierarchical, and class-based. But as I understand it, there's not much of that in the dig. Peggy Piggott was brought in uh, for her expertise and used for her expertise. Basil Brown was slightly marginalised, but he wasn't removed from the dig. And his talents were appreciated. So, Moving on to the, some of the history stuff, a paper was produced by uh, the head of the British Museum. Who is that? Sorry, you mentioned names, Charles Phillips, mm-hmm. wherein Basil Brown's contribution was mentioned. It's quite clear that they recognised what Basil Brown had done, but we just have to we just have to remember that this was the biggest find in history for the Anglo-Saxon period, and. Therefore, it's unsurprising that the most expert people in the field were brought in to take it over. Interesting enough, there's an implication at the beginning that uh, Maynard at the Ipswich Museum wouldn't let Basil Brown go and do the dig. And that actually is apparently untrue, he suggested. Although it's also apparently true that Maynard was... A bit sniffy about the fact that Basil Brown was still involved. Whereas the, the British Museum, it's a, a different situation. You know, they were the experts. It was inevitable they would be called in. So I think but I think they've written it up. Yeah. Clearly, we're in a society where those things did exist. You know, there's no denying the women of the position of women in society was very different to what it is today and what it should be. But in this particular circumstance, There doesn't seem to be a vast amount of that.
0: No. Um, It's interesting. You've revealed stuff to me that I didn't gather. So I'd assume that because the film is about Basil Brown predominantly, that it makes sense for his character to have all these obstacles. So it makes sense to me that he is kind of pushed aside and he has to kind of overcome that class divide. So I kind of understand if they exaggerate the class issue a bit. I get that. And it works for the drama although I mm-hmm. definitely was under the impression that he maybe had actually been erased from history and that the book and thus the film were kind of bringing him back. So now I kind of realize they've lied to me a bit more than I thought they had. Um, but the, the issue of gender uh, and its treatment of Peggy is it's, it's utterly stupid. And I couldn't mm-hmm. believe that Peggy was such a highly respected archaeologist who was a Cambridge graduate like the others who had been running digs as the leader for a couple of years prior to this and was incredibly well uh, skilled and um, educated. And as soon as she turns up in the movie, they treat her like she's an idiot and that she has no skills. The fabrication of the honeymoon, just so that she can arrive in like beach. And then she looks out of place. It, it doesn't make any sense. And what I find frustrating is if you, you, why do this woman such a disservice to Mm -hmm. try and push this narrative that didn't exist, particularly in the context of this story, it's like, why do you have to tear her down to then remind us that, um, we do live in a patriarchal world. We're all aware of that, but Peggy managed to overcome some of those issues and was doing a really great job. But instead of showing us a strong, successful, intelligent woman who is helping with this great discovery, they have to belittle her and undermine her and then give her a romantic arc rather than like a career-based or intellectual arc. It's I mean, that is the most uh, outrageous thing of, of all, isn't it?
1: That is the thing that gets your heart at the collar. Not only do they denigrate her professional competence in order to run the misogyny story, they also make, make her have a romance. Yeah.
0: So they're misogynistic they me. in creating this storyline to say that. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyway. And then, don't even. So then, also, I don't know if you noticed this, uh, and it ugh, doesn't bug me as much. But I think it all plays in together into this idea that the filmmakers are perpetrating all of the problems they're trying to fix with their kind of fake storylines. Hmm. Almost immediately into the movie, I kept thinking, is, is Carrie Mulligan wearing old makeup? She looks really weird. And that was when I discovered, as soon as I quickly searched online, that they would put old makeup on her so that she could play a woman who was um, 25 years older um oh no twenty twenty one. 21 i think years older than she actually is because they didn't want to cast um an actress who was in their late 40s or 50s and then so it, just the casting's really weird like you say yeah. um
1: i mean that is very odd i must admit, I hadn't realized that at all um
0: she's 35 and she's playing a 56 year old she has to wear old makeup yes. and the, and this is the stupid thing if they the filmmakers have openly said that they're taking creative license, fine. So if you're going to change the... If you want to cast Carrie Mulligan in this role, because you, you think she's the best for the role, don't give her old makeup. She can still have the same character arc, have the same role, and even still have the same fate. She's just a bit younger. Like, mm. they clearly didn't care that Rafe finds is seven years older than Basil Brown, and they clearly didn't care that um, Ben, what's-his-name, was 30 one or 32 years older than his real life counterpart. So I don't know. Yes. It says to me. I hadn't even realized that. And there was no, I'd I'd assumed
1: that she was the age she looked and that she got, you know, she began to look uh, a bit ropey because she was ill and dying. There's been some controversy Um, about it as well. As soon as I searched. Can I just distance myself from that last comment? In no way do I think that older people look ropey. Um. Good. Thanks for clearing that, that up. Not my intention,
0: obviously. Um, so, Although, in you know, some cases, like me, they do. But anyway. Sorry, carry on. You were trying to say something. The last nice point I'll make about that really quick is that in addition to doing a disservice, which basically says there's no middle aged um, women who can play this role, um, I also think that there's almost a strategic decision to create that kind of classic. Um, semi-romantic relationship between a fairly old uh, male actor with a fairly young female actor. Obviously, we've seen it happen in millions of films the entire time. So, you know, Sean Connery is going to have a romantic interest with Catherine zeta Jones, who's like 45 years younger than him. So my point is, while I think most of the, the all of the performers are really good in their roles and they clearly Particularly right for the job, in, in generally speaking, I think it's a slightly strategic decision, so that Ray Fiennes can have this slight romantic relationship with Kerry um, Mulligan, and then they cast his wife as someone who's actually the age of the character. So then she, yeah. she looks so much older than Carrie Mulligan. So you're like, okay, mm. I kind of maybe understand why you're spending all this time up in the big house with Carrie Mulligan, Ray finds. Um, <laughs> well, she didn't know, but Mrs. Brown was really nice. Exactly. <laughs> but what I mean is... I know what you're saying, yeah, but... Yeah. They create this divide so that yeah. they look really different, even though they would have been the same... They were contemporaries. They would have been exactly the same age. I must admit, I didn't quite get... I mean, obviously,
1: I that so we say I didn't quite I didn't feel that at the time. I must admit, I didn't really feel that there was any chemistry, any of that kind of sexual chemistry between Mrs. Pretty and Basil. Um, I felt it was a very traditional relationship.
0: Yeah. I'm not, uh, but, you know, I'm not trying to force like uh, necessarily a, a sexual thing, but I definitely think that there's some stuff that the movie's doing. And I think it's just they're trying to make it more appealing to an audience. They think that's what they want. No, no, that's my. I, I mean, I agree with you, and I think there is something with Missus Pretty's character. One of the things
1: that annoyed Jane, who's read the book and and liked it, and therefore remembers it better than me, is that in the book, Missus Pretty is not the kind of uh, modern character that Carrie Mulligan is displaying. I, you know, uh, Carry is blubbing all over the place, and we like that, don't we? We like people to show their emotions, and you know, back in that those that day and age. You just didn't do that, especially if not, if you were from the ruling classes. So in the book, apparently, um, Mrs. Pretty does at one point feel like crying because she's, um, she's learned that she's ill. Um, although more less is made of the illness in the book than in the film. She pulls herself together and says, Lord, I almost forgot myself then, and you know, stops herself from crying. I mean, it, 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 that isn't a big thing, uh, but it is just another example of how in the film you know they've kind of softened the edges to make it more uh, accessible to a modern audience i think i don't really object to that in that case i must admit but it's just an interesting little wrinkle
0: no um and just kind of to summarize i think it can sound like we're maybe complaining about lots of small little details but i think overall it's the the unnecessary nature of the changes they're making and then how yeah. they undermine so much of the story and the real life people, it's disappointing, really disappointing. Because yeah. I'm all for changing facts for entertainment, but it didn't particularly yeah. work for me as entertainment. And I knew what they were doing. You couldn't pull, um, you couldn't trick me. And it's just increasingly frustrating when you realise that Rory's a made up character, and there were yeah. there were these two photographers there, but it eradicates them. It's like, oh, we don't want we don't want more women at the dig because we need to clearly show that Peggy was mercilessly bullied by all of the men there. And I'm like, yeah. no, none of this happened. And yeah. it's the least entertaining part of the movie. So it doesn't even work. Okay, I think we've got got all that across yeah. very good, and I feel better. As I hope you feel being has been I do. catharsis. <laughs>
1: good
0: while, yeah. What I wanted to ask you, David, was how far did the film give you a sense of the history of the... Of the dig. And
1: I thought it was um, I thought that was very good. Um, I'm going to come on to the history of the of the actual content of the dig. Uh, but in terms of the, the environment, I thought they did that pretty well. And I think you're I, th- I have a feeling you're going to complain about the World War Two notes of it. <laughs> and, you know, generally speaking, uh, you know, I've seen enough films on World War Two to end to fill a lifetime. And I, you know, I genuinely feel we're obsessed with World War II, but that's another discussion. Um, so in general, I'm kind of a bit, again, uh, films about World War II, but I don't think they overplayed it. I think they had to give a sense of urgency because it, it is fact that they had to get on with the dig very quickly and resources were limited because the Department of Works and the British Museum were all preparing for war. So... And they knew that they couldn't carry on the dig if and when war came. So the war thing did serve a a role in the mechanics of the film of Agreed. needing to create a sense of urgency in a, and moving it on. And I don't think they overdid it. You know, there weren't long discussions about, oh, my God, the walls are coming down and blah, blah, blah. There were some aeroplanes every so often, and, and a reference a few times to the fact they've got to get on with it.
0: Agreed. I think that it is a smart move to add this ticking clock to the film, especially because you're trying to create drama around, being blunt, uh, an archaeological dig, which is a slow process of which you're yeah. not going to have these like huge dramatic moments, and they're really interested in the history. So you add the ticking clock, and you create this additional drama. Um, and the tension builds. We know what's coming. So I I think that that works. But how do you... I felt that it was also being used as a dramatic device to kind of add a layer of doom to the movie Uh, alongside Mm. Mrs. Pretty's illness and Basil's fear of disappearing without a legacy. Um, Did you feel like it worked when they were using it to kind of support the narratives they were pushing with their central characters. I kind of feel it. To be honest, I really didn't object to
1: the World War II thing, but I quite understand why, why you would, because, you know, just had, sort of had enough of it. But I thought it worked fine. I think that feeling of doom probably was there. Okay, so I think we've
0: discussed uh, most things about the film. Did you have any other questions, Wolf? I did want to know, because I don't know this, um, what was the significance of the actual dig at Sudden Hope Very good. Well, I'm very glad you uh, asked me that, because I did
1: also want to mention about the amount of history you actually get in the dig of uh, Redwold. You get a little bit of it in the film. They try to... So Charles Phillips announces this is the end of the Dark Ages, because and there what he's referring to is that a very high status burial well first of all the simple thing is here are a group of people that we have always we had always considered to that point to be basically barbarians the old roman history that the barbarians at the gate the 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 saxon shore roman civilization being swept aside by these these barbarians in this dig what they discovered was Incredibly sophisticated work. That work is of two kinds of, of, of local work using, uh, of exquisite quality, using materials from a long way away. So, garnet, I believe, came from India, but also um, showing a network of trade. So, many of the items came from Byzantium, for example. So, these were people who were. A, capable of producing high-quality stuff. B, had an appreciation of that. C, were linked into a a wide network, which actually ran as far as India. So suddenly we're thinking very differently about Anglo-Saxon culture and society, because also society needs to be quite sophisticated in order to create these kind of elites. And although we don't, you know, we don't like elites and all the rest of it. We all want to be equal. in In the history of this time, the development of elites shows the development of society, development of trade, increasing wealth, all these things. Was this the first time that we discovered they had currency? I can't remember if the coins in there were well, there manufactured. I think they were used from elsewhere. I could be wrong about that. So it's very significant in terms of our understanding. Of Anglo-Saxon society. So, in terms of the film, I wish they had shown a bit more. I mean, we see some glittery gold stuff, and I don't know what the the right you know the rights are in this. And presumably, I'm pretty sure. Presumably, they can you know go and open the cabinets at the British Museum and say, "Can we borrow these for the afternoon?" But I wish they'd made more effort to show some of the items because the items are just. Amazing, you know the items are just beautiful, and all you see is, you know, from a distance, and everybody says, "Oh gosh, these are amazing," but you can't see that they're amazing. And I'm sure these, this day and age, we could quickly whip up a uh, enamel golden garnet garnet um, clasp um, and make it look okay. So I wish they'd shown a bit more. I mean, probably showing, you know, dig maps is, is a step too far, but I wish I'd shown more of the actual stuff.
0: I absolutely loved when they had all those boxes, and then they used fresh moss yeah. to line the boxes in order to rest the artifacts on. I thought that was wonderful. It was good. It no? yeah, was nice. So uh, it's a it's a of seminal importance. And what we're saying is, is that the film really doesn't convey the actual significance of the find truly to us as an audience. I didn't quite. I, I can kind of get that it's a big deal, but I don't know why it's a big deal. Yeah, I think uh, they don't
1: do well enough. I mean, they do, you know, they do as much as they can, I suppose, by saying, hey, this is amazing, and hey, God, this is incredible. But I think they could do, mu- they could do much more. They could have done it if they didn't waste all that time yes. with the romance. Indeed, we've had more romance with Redwald, the uh, 7th century Angle King. I mean, the other thing about The Dig is that it's it shows a fascinating a society that is struggling to decide whether it is pagan or whether it's Christian, you know, it's quite early and and these invaders are pagan, but there's a lot of Christian symbology in the, in the items. So there's this kind of crossover uh, between Christianity and paganism. So, um, you know, again, it's, it's important for that aspect.
0: Well, you already said that it's the biggest uh, or most important find that there's ever been in Britain. Yeah, certainly with the Anglo-Saxon, Anglo-Saxon culture, for sure. Um,
1: well, so what did you think about the historical accuracy? Of it? Okay, so again, uh, the whole thing is a game of two halves for me. I think it, it's a six. I think the um, we talked about the things that annoyed us and the things that were wrong are not accurate, but quite a lot is accurate. You know, the digging of the mound, uh, the Basil Brown's involvement, the collapsing of the mound, the the items that are found, the involvement. You know, there's a whole load of it is is pretty accurate. There are but there are, you know, as we discussed, big items which aren't and which are annoying.
0: So let's I don't know, give
1: six or seven.
0: Six, maybe. Yeah, I mean I'd gone with a five, but that was more just because I was so infuriated by how badly they wronged Peggy and a number of other people at the dig. And it's all just to serve Basil's character, mm-hmm. which is why I really assumed that the, he maybe was completely forgotten. But then it turns out everyone knew he was, and uh, he did get some credit. So I was a bit like, "Oh, so you didn't really need to do that." Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's worth obviously explaining. It's based on a novel, and the novel itself, yeah, openly admits that it doesn't really attempt to convey history in the way that it was. Yeah. So it's an adaptation of an unreliable source, and then as a movie the director is openly like well the novel departed from the truth in many aspects and didn't attain to be sort of accurate so the scope for departing from historical accuracy is easy for them to to work within
1: yeah i mean robert lomax is the is the invention of the book it should be said
0: yeah i think just uh, the point i was making is that how accurate can you expect this film to be yes. when it's trying to be entertainment based on a book yeah. that um, is also trying to be entertainment. But it is
1: also, I think, worth noting that some of the things that it gets right, it gets really right. Basil Basil Brown's character is excellent and beautifully described. Suffolk is beautiful. The dig is really well laid out. I mean, you know, I love the who the dig because although people say, oh, well, it all rotted in the acidic sand, those ribs are very, very evocative. You know, the ribs of the ship, I think almost more evocative than the ship itself was there. Um, they did a lot of that really well. I, you know, we might be going on to the negative, getting too negative about it. Annoying the, those bits are. It did a lot really, really well.
0: Yeah, and I wasn't even, from some of the inaccuracies that come up, I wasn't too bothered by a lot of the practical details, like how they compressed all the excavations from over two seasons into one, mm. and they didn't show all the extra time with a few of the other mounds that they did first. Uh, I'm like, okay, that makes sense for yeah. for the purpose of this film, that that works. Um, and so, obviously, before they knew about the rivets, and they kind of knew that they were dealing with Anglo-Saxon remains. In the film, they tried to they tried to make it like Basil's the only intelligent person there, and he's the only one who knows, and the others had no clue. Mm. But they'd already found the rivets, so they were like, "Oh yeah, this is Anglo-Saxon." Um, that was the impression I got from when I read about mm. it. But again, I'm not I'm not too mad about that because it works for the narrative of the film. Yeah.
1: Okay. And qualitative as a a film, marks out of ten. Maybe this
0: is generous, but I went for a six. Okay, I don't think
1: it's generous at all. I mean, I went for an eight, which is probably reflects. You know, I should probably mark down and go for a for a seven at most because. I you know I love the bit about Basil Brown, Mrs. Pretty, the dig, Suffolk, so much. That I would watch this film again, probably a few times, and just go and make a cup of tea for some of the bits. So I, I'd give it a seven because I, you know, I I really did enjoy the bits it got right.
0: Yeah, uh, and in fairness, even the bits it gets wrong, they're more egregious kind of after the fact. During the film, it's pretty; it's such a gentle film that it's hard to be offended by it. Um, I just think it's. Like, as we said, it's pushing narratives that it really doesn't need to push. And then it's kind of doing itself a disservice and everyone involved. So disappointing. Okay,
1: and would you recommend somebody to go and see this film if they knew nothing about uh, Redwald, the uh, early 7th century uh, Angle King?
0: Yes and no. I would base it upon who I was recommending it to. I mean, you
1: can't really say yes and no. You should um, or should not go and see this film. It, you know, isn't great advice.
0: Well, but my advice is like, um, if I was rec- if I was recommending it to Millie, I wouldn't recommend it. But if I was recommending right. it to my parents, I probably would recommend it. Right. I see. Okay. Excellent. Uh, uh, am I am I still skirting around the answer? <laughs> no,
1: no, that's a very good answer. Actually, I think that, that's excellent. So lovely. Thank you very much, Wolf and. Thank you for listening, everyone. You're probably sick and tired of going onto to the interweb and talking about the dig, because I'm guessing you've all done it a million times already. But if you can work up enough enthusiasm to do it again, do come onto the website, the History of England Facebook group, and tell us what you think. And in a couple of weeks' time, we will see you again at The Last of the Mohicans.
0: Perfect. Thank you, David. Uh, and uh, I just want to say it's great to be back. Great. Brilliant. See you all.